Welcome to season two of An Unexpected Launch, a podcast sharing stories of people thriving after an unexpected circumstance. I'm continually amazed by the stories of those who endure the unthinkable, who don't give up, and who use a challenging life event to propel themselves forward. Four years ago, Sarah unexpectedly lost her husband, Sean. After he was medically cleared of walking pneumonia, Sean suffered a massive fatal heart attack. At the time, their child, Carson, was 14 years old and was just weeks away from starting high school. Sarah's navigated losing the love of her life, instantly becoming a widowed parent, and exploring what brings her joy. Sarah, welcome to an unexpected launch. Thank you, Kirsten. I'm really glad to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. Sarah, you and Sean married 22 years ago. You had a beautiful child, Carson, who is now 18 years old and a freshman in college. Tell us a little bit about your family. Well, uh, it was just the three of us, and uh, it started out with me meeting Sean when we were both at Microsoft, and we had worked in ancillary groups. I was in Visual Basic and managing a marketing program, and he uh, came into my boss's office one day, and I happened to be there, and we shook hands, and there was like a audible click in my head, like, oh my God, this person feels like home to me. So uh, we had our little weird courtship at Comdex <laughs> in Las Vegas, uh, my first Comdex, and he asked me out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day, and I was like, I'm working 16 hours a day in a booth. I don't feel like doing anything. <laughs> So he took a chance once we got back from the conference and asked me out one more time and said, you know, if she doesn't do it this, if she doesn't go out with me, then this is it. It's not meant to be. And I did. I said yes. And it was kind of history from there. We got married in 97 and uh, we had Carson in 2001. So we had a lot of time together before having a child uh, to have adventures and we traveled a lot and we bought houses and we made communities and had a lot of fun together prior to that. So, um, and I was 32 when I got married. So I was kind of an older, older bride, if you will. Um, so that was when Carson came along, that was our, our life. And we were thrilled for that. And that was our big focus. And Sean really loved being a dad. It was, uh, something just opened up in him and me uh, as a parent that I don't, you know what that's like, you're a parent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there is just nothing better um, when that love, that kind of love comes into your life. So we were deeply committed to our family and being together. And we ended up leaving Bellevue because John had, Sean had it, sorry, Sean had a, really great job opportunity here in the Bay, East Bay area. So we moved and thought we were on another amazing adventure, which we were in two years into being here after establishing a new community that we love and I still love. He just, like you said, had the heart attack and, and was no longer. So we started a person and I started a new family, if you will. So, when it was the three of you, tell me what you loved most about your family. 
Oh, so many things. <laughs> I love that we were for each other and being so committed to each other. We were also committed to our community and building community. So we had a lot of love rippling through those relationships. And I loved that we were, we were a team. So you mentioned Sean died unexpectedly about four years ago. Can you share the details around the circumstances of his death? Are you, do you mean like the story of what happened that day? Yes. Okay. So it was Father's Day 2015, and he wanted to, he, he woke up and he wasn't feeling all that great. He had a little bit of a cough and was just feeling low energy, but he really wanted to celebrate Father's Day. And there's this place in Walnut Creek here called the Hickory Pit. <laughs> and it's a place that I would not go, but dad's love this place. It's just full of meat. <laughs> There's a barbecue. And Sean is from Texas, so he loves barbecue. So we ended up um, going to this place, having breakfast, and we were planned to go see Inside Out. I remember that very vividly, uh, that movie, Inside Out. And about 10 minutes or so after our food came, he had to go to the bathroom and he hadn't come back after we had finished our meal, Carson and I. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to pay the bill and go look for him. He must've been in the bathroom all this time. So we go up, pay the bill and I look toward the door and he has collapsed. There's, there he is in the, in the doorway of the hickory pit. And there's all these people around him and they are like, Hey, are you related to this man? And I'm like, yeah, I'm his wife. And this is his kid. And they're like, we've called an ambulance literally the hickory pit is 50 yards i kid you not from kaiser permanente so we're standing there waiting for the ambulance and i talked to sean he was conscious as he was sitting on the ground and the first thing he said to me was where's carson and i said honey she's right here she's right next to you which in retrospect it i'm pretty sure he was losing his vision at that point because he couldn't see peripherally that she was right there. And um, the ambulance came and <laughs> actually, I got to tell you this right, right before the ambulance came, there was an older gentleman who came up to me and said, Hey, would it be okay with you if I prayed for your husband? And I said, yeah, go ahead. Start that right now. Mm. That, would, that would be great. Please pray. And the ambulance came, they loaded him in and, he laid down and as soon as he laid down, he was clinically dead. So they started working on him in the ambulance. They drove the 50 yards to the hospital while Carson and I ran from the Hickory Pit to the ER. We checked in at ER and they told us to wait. And it seemed like a very long time, but I'm sure it wasn't. And I looked to the side and I saw a nurse coming toward me and a social worker. And in my head, I thought, well, this is not good if a social worker is with the nurse. This is, this is not good news. So they told us what was going on with him, that he had a heart attack and that they were still working on him. And Carson and I went back to this little room that they 
give to families. And they took me to where Sean was um, being, and they were trying to resuscitate him. And I went inside the room and it was a lot. There, they, there were several medical people, the whole team of people working on him. They had cut away his clothing. Um, I looked to my left and I saw a man who had a cross around his neck. And I said, can you pray with me? And he said, of course. And so we held hands and we said, be our father. And they held Mary over and over again while they worked on him. And I don't know how long it was that they worked on him, but I, at one point I just said, is, is he still here? And they said, there's a, there's a possibility, but, but they could, it was clear that, I just didn't even feel like he was there anymore. They would have been working on it for so long. And so I said, okay, just let him go. Just just let him go. And um, I stood out in the hallway and there was a bunch of doctors around. One of them who was standing way too close to me and the doctor, she was the head doctor and I think she thought I was gonna faint or something. And then I, I don't remember the sequence of a lot of things, but at some point I must've called a friend and said, can you start the prayer chain? And um, this is what's happening. And she, this friend I called Terry Gallagher, she came to the hospital and I think she must've been looking after Carson and I had to make all the phone calls to my, my family. I had, I think at some point contacted them while they were was trying to resuscitate Sean and told them what was happening. And then I had to call them afterwards and let them know that he was gone. And um, then somehow magically we got home. I have literally no memory of reaching our house, but we did somehow. And I had Sean's clothes. They'd given me a bag of his effects. And all of us, all of these women that are part of my community through St. Mary's, where Carson went to school in seventh and eighth grade, they appeared and spent the day sitting with me. All I can compare it to is like a shiva. It was, but I was so out of it. I really didn't know what was happening. Um, so at some point I saw that there was recycling that needed to be taken out. Mm -hmm. All the mundane things that you weirdly notice in shock. And I took it out and there was always a person with me wherever I was, whatever I was doing, wherever I was going that day. And honestly, I have no memory of where Carson was, but I know that all the women brought their kids and the kids surrounded Carson while the women surrounded me. And um, they had all left their husbands on Father's Day to be with us. And then, um, I took that recycling outside and a, a friend of mine, Ruth Locker, was standing next to me and she said, look. And we looked across the backyard and there was this orange dragonfly flying over the pool. And uh, she said, I've never seen an orange dragonfly here in this area in Walnut Creek. And I was like, oh, 
okay, well, I got to get the recycling out. So <laughs> I'm just going to go my, my merry way here. And I did that. And that dragonfly from then on uh, just showed up every single day for the whole summer and part of the, the um, fall. And then came back again in the spring. And he's every four, every year he comes back in the spring and he stays with us shorter and shorter periods. But that's Sean. That's his spirit animal, we've all decided. And so that's kind of that day. I know that that was really tough for you to share. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And what strikes me is when you were talking about what you loved, some of the things that you loved most about being a family was the community that you had created. And as you recount that day, it's the community that you had spent so much time building and loving that was there for you when you needed it. And I think that that's so important when we think about um, extending ourselves and becoming part of a community, the support that that brings in a moment when, when it's so needed. I agree with you. I don't know, looking back on that, what we would have done without all of those families just dropping their with their commitments and whatever they had going on and coming to us on Father's Day. I mean, some of them I heard later had been on trips and they had been on their way home and they just had their spouses drop them off here at, at Rickety Ranch Charm Farm where <laughs> we live in Mott Creek and they just stayed. I mean, all these women in and out all day. I didn't see any dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any husband, but that's okay. I, I don't know if I would have known what to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. But I I was so in awe of these kind, generous women and um, their families for supporting us the way they did. And, and they continue to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's how, how we draw the strength to continue to move forward from something that you feel you may never move forward from. And... Uh, similar to you when when um, Aiden when my, my son Aiden was in his car accident the the community that pulled together and the things that they did for us it just you know because you're like you you're in shock and you don't have the ability to do you can do some things that are <laughs> mundane taking out the the recycling but there are other things that you just you you just simply can't manage and um, I think that we're so blessed to be part parts of communities like that oh yeah hundred percent I, I I don't there's just nothing like having people who really care for one another um, come through in times like this because this is just part of life I mean births and deaths and weddings and 16th birthday parties, all of it. And the people who show up to witness for you, that's so powerful. And also to do really practical things. Like I had um, within the three days afterwards, there was so much to do around funeral arrangements and uh, cremation and practical things like 
finances. And fortunately, I am very involved in our finances, so I knew what to do on a lot of stuff. But people showed up from Sean's work. He was at Macy's.com at this point. He was a vice president there. And he had some wonderful people, um, excuse me, Barb Jasper and her family, the Jaspers, they showed up and Barb walked me through everything that needed to be done, uh, helped me get through with stuff to do with work, her, his, his work. Um, and then my friend, again, Terry Gallagher, she helped me with the funeral things. And I like, I've never arranged a funeral before. I don't know what to do. So we, she took me to the places that we needed to go and was just with me while this is happening and helped me talk to the priest and, they were, I mean, there were so many other people that I could name that were just instrumental in um, making all of our lives keep moving as the shock was happening of what had just happened to us. So I'm super grateful to them and I, I can't thank them enough. I wish there was some amazing gift that I could give to all of them to, to let them know how much we appreciated all the food. Oh my goodness, the meals that came to us. And because I'm not a cook anyway, I don't really cook. So <laughs> that was, oh my gosh, that was amazing. That was a huge blessing. So things like that. Well, I, I, I felt the same. I, I didn't quite know how to sort of repay people or thank them. And, and what I found is it's using the knowledge of what that meant to you to yeah. pay it forward to to someone else. Because I think that if you haven't been through something like that, often you don't know what's needed or how to support someone, but you now know how, how to help people. Because I remember sometimes people would ask me, well, how can I help you? And I, I literally would say, I have no idea. And there were a few people who had been through something traumatic and they knew just to show up with a cup of coffee or they knew just to show up with with a meal or they knew just to come pick me up and take me on a walk and so i think you know you once you have that knowledge of how to help individuals who are in a an, a life circumstance that they didn't expect themselves to find them in to help them just in the it, and it's just the little things it it's just the little things that that are so impactful mm-hmm. Yeah, and just having somebody, like another human being, being present for you, like just that is is so huge. It doesn't have to be some big conversation. It just has to be like, hey, you're not alone here. It feels like you are, but you're not. And let me take your kid to school today. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. Fortunately, it was summertime, so there was no school but you know what I'm saying it's just those like you said the little it's not really little things it's really big things just just putting one foot in front of the other like having somebody come and go for a walk with you and not say anything just be present yeah absolutely so once you know the news of of Sean's death or the reality of his death sinks in and as you're starting to think about moving forward, what was your biggest fear of, of moving forward with that, or m- continuing to move, move forward without Sean? Well, one of my biggest 
spheres, a paramount concern for me was finances, as I think a lot of people who have a, a breadwinner die in their family, that's your first, one of your first thoughts. Um, like, get to safety, and then this is part of your safety. And I'm just going to give some unsolicited advice about this is make sure you have health insurance if you, or health insurance, make sure you have life insurance if you have children. Um, I was a stay-at-home parent for 18 years, so I had been out of the market uh, and the work world outside of my home and getting paid for work for 18 years, or well, 14, sorry, I, I was out of that for 14 years at that point, and so my big concern is, okay, uh, do we get to keep our house? How is this going to work? I even though I do the day-to-day finances, I didn't do the investing in our home. Sean did because that was, we had a good division of labor. That's another thing I really loved about our family is the division of labor was pretty organic. And so around finances, we had a a split where I just did day-to-day and he did the bigger picture investing. So that was something I had to figure out and getting help finding some resources around like financial planning, um, setting up trust, all of these financial logistics that you need to care health, health insurance. I, you know, that immediately stopped at the company that Sean was working at and I had to figure that out right away. So finances were a, a very big part of the fear factor of this. Unfortunately, we did get connected with a really great financial uh, advisor through my friend Barb Jasper. She has a great person um, through Lincoln Savings. And I just can't say enough about Ryan Baker. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has been with us from, from the get-go. Now, we didn't invest in things right away, um, but we had Sean's um, life insurance, and I needed to do something with that. Uh, but Ryan... He didn't even hesitate. Like there was no talk about investing. It was, hey, let's get you settled for your day to day. Let's make sure you have income. Let's make sure that you have a plan for the future in the future a little bit later down this road. But right now you need your day to day taken care of. And you've got some things you need to think about. Like you need to get life insurance. You need to get yourself squared away. Uh, so Carson is, in case something happens to you, you're you're covered. Um, so I guess that was my, I mean, I know that's kind of a drawn out answer for what that is, but finances was the biggest worry on my mind, biggest fear, like how am I going to support my family? What do you miss most about Sean and your life with Sean? <laughs> Well, like I just mentioned, I miss that division of labor. (laughs) (laughs) The labor is Mm -hmm. me. I'm Mm -hmm. the mom and I'm the dad and whatever else is necessary here. So the labor is with me. Now, that doesn't mean I do all of the labor. That means I'm responsible for all the labor. So I miss that companionship. I miss, okay, the, the other thing besides division of labor, I miss desperately having a person in my life who knows me inside out, the good, the bad, the ugly, 
I miss being seen that way. Sean was a person who we did this for each other. We saw who we were as individuals and as a couple and as parents and in community. And it wasn't all pretty because that's marriage, right? And we accepted each other as we were and as we were becoming. And I miss being seen as a full, fully realized human being. And he just got me, man. Like I got him and he got me and we just, oh my God, we laughed all the time. We had so much fun together. We just really appreciated one another on every level. And again, we weren't perfect human beings. We, we still not, um, <laughs> but we were willing to do the work together and we were for each other and for our family. And I just, really miss that interaction and miss being seen that way. I think that we take it for granted how important that is and what that is when you're, when you're part of a relationship like that and that ends, whether it's through death or divorce, that's something that I've also really missed. Um, And it's that feeling that you're, that you aren't being seen as, as for who you are and that that deep partnership that leaves such a void. Oh, also, I really miss laughing with another person at the dumb things that we used to laugh at. Both of us have the humor level of a 12-year-old boy. So basically, we would laugh at the dumbest, dumbest things. But again, that's how we, part of how we got each other. And I just miss that so much. I miss his humor and his weirdness and... I miss sharing those parts of myself with another person so fully. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, Carson was 14 at the time that, that Sean died and just getting ready to go into high school. How did you manage addressing what you needed to do to start moving yourself forward while at the same time help Carson to navigate the loss of, of their dad? Mm-hmm. One word, therapy. So finding a good therapist to get support with uh, is crucial, I think. I know that not everybody thinks therapy is a great idea, but for us, it was the saving grace, a huge saving grace to talk to somebody who could help parse out all the feelings and help us process what was happening as life was still happening. And fortunately, Carson already had a therapist uh, that works with uh, gifted kids here in the Bay Area. And so she was perfect to keep working with Carson through this trauma and drama. And at one point I had taken Carson to her appointment and her therapist, Grace Maloney, Dr. Grace said to me, I'm pretty sure you need some parental support. Here's some names. Consider this. And I said, okay, I will consider it. And within a week I had a therapist and that was super helpful to keep things moving along and processing it. But I really felt like I had to get myself to a 
uh, a wellness point, mind, body, and spirit wellness help uh, to keep supporting Carson. Because when Sean died, the immediate concern for me was Carson. I have, it's like super clear when a spouse dies and there are, uh, excuse me, there's kids involved that the kids are the priority, right? So you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first, get yourself together, get the resources that you need to help you get to some health for yourself so that you can be of service to your child and your children. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we we can't help our, our children if we don't have the tools to help ourselves. From your perspective, how has Carson's journey evolved over the past four years? Okay. So going into this new community, uh, they were, somehow they found out about our situation and they were super gracious, helping us financially and helping us integrate into the community as rapidly as possible. However, Carson, then did not make it known that six weeks prior to starting high school, they lost their dad. And so I think Carson must have still been in shock looking back on it now and just, I think, processed a lot of what she was going through by involving themselves heavily in school, like just really engaging in what was right in front of them. Everything was new at the school and needing to get ramped up with community, everything like that. It was a like a very safe and very loving place to land for Carson. So that continued for four years. So I um, just want to make you aware too that a lot of people Carson's even her closest friends didn't know about Sean dying until I think her sophomore year when they had a sophomore retreat or maybe it was even junior year. I can't remember, honestly. And people were shocked. She, she talked about the loss of her dad and they were shocked. They had no idea. So I was like, wow. So this kid has really kept it close to the best, even though we've got the, you know, the therapists and uh, we talk together and I've been to grief groups and, Carson has their own um, team group that they're involved with. It it really was her process was to um, most of the time keep that part of herself publicly shut down. So it wasn't common knowledge for some time, even in this loving and really wonderful inviting community that we were in. And I think the dam burst for Carson, like some part of her froze when Sean died and at that point she started to thaw out a little bit is how I can put it that she started talking about it a little more freely and that gathered other people to her like she's got a great bunch of people surrounding her and once she was willing to be a little bit more vulnerable which you know Doing that in high school is risky <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. but, but this particular community that she's involved with at College Prep, it was, they're just, they're a very, very special school. Um, so 
she unfroze a little bit and started to thaw out and be a little more out loud about her own uh, vulnerabilities and stress and what she was going through emotionally. And by the time graduation rolled around, this kid was just thriving. I mean, Carson thrived in that environment of, of college prep. But really, I think, I know, I didn't really see what was happening fully, you know, because it's high school and teenagers are teenagers and have a secret life. Um, until I saw her in that community, at just watching her at graduation, just kind of blew my mind that this, how far this person had come, like literally six weeks after her father dying in front of her, that she was where she was and joyful, out loud, joyful and living her life fully. I'm sure it was such a proud moment because I think sometimes just in the day to day, you don't see the progress that's been made. And as you say, looking back over the, just the evolution from those four years to her graduation, as she's beginning to launch off on her own, that must have brought you a sense of peace. I was breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. (laughs) (laughs) I was so, I felt so much freedom. Honestly, that's the word is like, okay, this person has got serious coping skills. They don't have every coping skill, but they're so awake to the resources that are available to them. They're open to the world. They're clear in their own boundaries, their personal boundaries. Like I just, my mind was just blown, is still every day is blown by this person and how they've, they've really evolved through, I mean, I think high schools can be traumatic anyway, but throw, throw a parent no longer being alive on top of that. And it was like, wow, you, you're, you're so impressive to me. Who you are and who you're becoming is just so beautiful and phenomenal. And I want to be you when I grow up, my friend, (laughs) you got some skills. You know, it's, it's funny because I've many times felt that as much as I felt that I was trying to be a role model for my children, they were the ones who taught me so much and, and their resilience blew me away and their insight and some of the things that they said to me were, it was just like, wow, that's, you're, you're 16 and you're, you're, you have this insight and this compassion and it, it really um, just was incredible to me to see the resilience and the impact that trauma had on evolving them into these really cool human beings. <laughs> yeah, right? Like you wouldn't wish this on anybody. It's the worst club to be on. Be in is the, the trauma club, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be in this club. It's <laughs> for nobody. However, there are many gifts that come from this and you are like, man, I, I, 
well, I don't want to compare it to the hero's journey or anything, but I'm kind of doing that. I, I am just, yeah, in awe of the resilience. That's such a great word, resilience. And it's not perfect, right? Like, I feel like maybe because they've only been on the planet for such a short time, they haven't had time to mask up with, you know, malarkey that we do as adults. Mm-hmm. And they just got get straight to the heart of stuff. Like, maybe this wasn't such a terrible it didn't knock them flat. It didn't crush them. They they just kept coming, right? And mm-hmm. like you said, the amazing compassion and the words that come out of them and the insight and the resilience. It's just kind of like, whoa. All right, cool. This is so <laughs> very cool. Thank you for sharing yourself with me. And now I feel like I can keep going on myself. This is awesome. Okay. <laughs> So I want to go back to, you mentioned grief, and while time lessens grief, it never eliminates it. And I truly believe that grief just becomes a part of our tapestry. Would you share your experience of joining a widow's club and how your perception of, and I'm using air quotes, getting over grief and time has evolved? I will do that. Yes. That I still have interesting memories about that experience. So I think it was about six months after Sean had died that I was willing to connect with a group situation. A group situation is not my normal mode of operation. However, I had the therapist and some other friends around me who had been through this situation suggest that it might be helpful just to try it. And I said, okay. So through Contra Costa County, they have a a grief group. And it's one of those things where you go in and you're not sure, like everybody's situation is different, right? You may have lost a spouse. You may have lost a partner. Uh, It's a different grief, grief group for parents who've lost a child. That's a different situation altogether. But Um, losing someone who's super important to you. You may have had kids at home when this happened. They may have been really young. They may have been out of the house. You may have no children. So I was looking for that perfect situation where, okay, I want to meet people who are around my same age and they lost their husband to a heart attack and they have children at home still who are still, you know, maybe even going through high school. And a lot of criteria in my head, I think. So once I showed up for the grief group, it was clear that that was going to be blown out of the water. People are just coming from all all sorts of situations. And um, so that was a lovely lesson to learn that grief is grief. And I remember the first night, and we would do this, the process was every time you show up for the grief group, which was a 10-week program, I believe, at the time, you tell your story you briefly tell your story of your loved one how you lost your loved one or the story of their death and the point of that is is to get the story out of your body and into the world so it's not paralyzing you from keep living keeping living your life so I found that helpful actually I didn't think it would be but it was so we went around the circle we all told our stories and there was just you know massive crying so much sobbing like so much choking people could barely speak 
through this process. And then we finished our evening and then I went to the next grief group and we did the same thing over again. Well, about the third or fourth meeting as we were doing this, I was realizing, number one, people are telling their stories now like it's a story instead of it, it's happening right this moment. But the other thing I noticed was there was people who had been, that were in this grief group that had been mourning for a year. Some of them were three years. Some of them were 15 years. And we were still talking about it as if it happened yesterday. And I was just struck by that. And I said to myself, I can't do this. I have so much to do. I have so much to focus on with keeping my child healthy, keeping myself healthy and keeping it together, keeping our lives together and keeping us moving. I can't be four years down this road and still be sobbing about this like it happened yesterday. Show up today, here we are talking about this. I'm still I'm still crying about it, right? Like I'm still grieving about this. It's more manageable. It doesn't feel like it's going to consume me anymore and I'm going to go under a wave and never come back up again. However, I'm still as deeply sad as I was four years ago that I don't have this person in my life anymore on a daily basis bodily. So... I got to get in touch with my judgmentalness about, <laughs> about, <laughs> about grieving. And so like there's just little slaps in the face as you get as you go through these processes that you're like, oh, okay, that's the theory of thought I how I thought it should be. Mm-hmm. Anytime you hear that word should, stop. No. <laughs> that is just a big pile of judgment you're sitting in. So something to look at and I'm really grateful to all those people who showed up and listened through that grief group and I'm not in touch with any of them but it was a great step in my journey to get clear about some things about grief like what grief really is and it's something you absolutely can learn to live with and it brings gifts I mean it's just the I heard somewhere that grief in um, when in the chakras, I guess, in the heart chakra. So what do you think the opposite of grief is? It's love. And I was like, oh, that's right. That is the price you pay for loving deeply. Grief, because nothing lasts forever. So I was like, okay, I'm willing to pay that price. Sucks, completely sucks. It hurts, but what's the alternative? Yeah, absolutely. So, Sarah, a couple of times you've mentioned gifts that have come through Sean's death, through navigating grief. What are some of the biggest gifts that have come through your experience navigating the loss of Sean? Okay, well, some of them are things like, well, one of the things I'm not really great at is asking for help. And so I got a lot of practice with that because it was, I I could not do this without help of some sort. So 
if there's somebody out there listening to this that knows how to do this without help, call me. I want to hear all about that. <laughs> but actually, that was that was the gift is learning how to. I'm still not graceful at it. I'm still really awkward. I'm super awkward asking for help, but I know how to do it now, and I will do it. It's uncomfortable, but that was one of the gifts. So there's that. Um, another one of the gifts is knowing that I'm actually uh, more capable, I guess, than I may have imagined myself to be. I know how to ask questions, and I know how to gather resources that I didn't think I knew how to do. So I got to learn a little bit about myself around resources. Uh, hold on a second. I'm just going to flip through this this thing that I was doing. I used I'm doing this thing called, or I just finished this thing called a group or a year of living mindfully, and it's just conversations about your life basically for a year. And one of the things we do is uh, talk about what you want to cultivate. So it changes as as you go along, but it's setting an intention. So in 2020, I. I am writing now that I want to cultivate bravery in my life. And so that's, that's another gift is distinguishing things like, Oh, I'm braver than I thought. And I would like to be kinder to myself. That was another gift that got brought up is the compassion like for myself and for other people distinguishing that I have way more capacity for that than I had even considered. But right now, uh, in my grief journey, I'm really interested in being surrendered is the word I'm going to use for this year. Hmm. I want to be more expansive. I don't want to be any part of me that's feeling shut down or closed off or not filled, I want to look at that and open that up a little bit more. So those gifts plus the gift of community, like that was huge. That still is huge. Knowing what community can do. That's so powerful. Community is so powerful. That's another one. And I need more hilarity in my life, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I do this thing. I have this ritual where uh, at least once a week I'll watch some kind of comedy show. Like usually it's a stand-up of some sort. And it just to get that muscle, keep it going, right? Because I find a lot of absurdity very, very funny <sighs> and death seems to be one of those things that is sort of funny to me now like there was a gift it's like okay I hadn't really thought that much about it but yeah it's kind of funny and I'm going to tell you something a little weird but I'm just going to tell you Sean in his spiritness I think he is laughing his ass off that he died at the hickory pit (laughs) sorry I don't mean to laugh no, no, laugh. You know, like, I died on Father's Day at the Hickory Pit. I'm the best father. I win Father's Day. I win Father's Day. And that is the kind of person he was. It was like, yeah, it's kind of funny. So that's really 
gift is the absurdity, how funny things are because they're just so absurd, silly. You know, there's there's a great podcast. It's called Terrible Thanks for Asking. And it is it's a woman who in the span of weeks loses um her father, her husband to brain cancer. And the way she tells her story, it's it's really infused with this humor because how else can you make sense of this this these things that are happening? You know, it just seems like you say, absurd. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy and why not laugh at it? I know it's a black humor, but I kind of don't care. I just I just want to laugh. And some of it is just preposterous. It's just so silly. Like seriously, two people dying, two people that I love the most in the world dying in immediate sequence of each other. No, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have to laugh somewhere yeah. on this <laughs> road. So yeah. Do you have things like that that you do, like your some of your tools? Um, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me when you were you were sharing was self-compassion. And that's something that I'm not good at. And I was so concerned about taking care of everybody around me, um, not ex- not asking for or accepting help, which I think is part of self-compassion is opening yourself up to allow others in to help you, to guide you, to support you. And that's been something that I've had to work really hard at. I'm great at taking care of other people and making sure that they're okay and giving them all sorts of leeway and room. And when it comes to myself, I'm really hard on myself. So that's something that I've been, I still continue to, I'm pretty self, <laughs> self-critical. And I think that self-compassion is really critical and there are a lot of great resources. I just ended up finding some great resources on um, the internet that I turned to and um, meditation was one of the ways that I I tried to incorporate that self-care. You talked about being healthy from a, a wellness perspective, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And and that those are things that are really tough when you're navigating a trauma, grief, loss. Those are, are really difficult to do because often that involves sitting with yourself, sitting with your thoughts, your feelings, and allowing them, which is really painful, but also such a critical part of healing. I agree with you on this so much. And I think it's really interesting when you look at the approaches or the different levels of um, discomfort people have, depending on where they are in the spectrum of introvert versus extrovert. And as me being more of an introvert, sitting with my feelings is not uncomfortable for me at all. I do it all the time, (laughs) but processing things appropriately. So whatever tools that you can find out there, including talking to a therapist or meditation or emotional freedom technique and doing the tapping, 
it, it's so important that, and community, like accepting help. But you get, that's the thing about these, like, like you said, the unexpected trauma that happens, you start finding out all sorts of things about yourself, how you navigate the world is maybe you need some help. <laughs> maybe you need some more tools. Like I really thought I had it going on. I've done therapy throughout my life for various reasons. And I thought, I know myself. I know what's happening. No, I don't. Turns out, no, I don't. I mean, when you get faced with yourself in these deep trauma moments that happen and it's like, well, that's a person to get to know. Hmm. There's some things that are really challenging about you as a human being. <laughs> I don't know if I like this part of myself. Uh-uh. So figuring that stuff out, you get, you get faced with that pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So, Sarah, Carson has just gone off to college in, in the last couple of months. You're on, on the West Coast, and Carson is on the East Coast. So you find yourself beginning another new chapter, solo, empty nesting. So how are you approaching this new phase? Well, that a year of living mindfully class that I told you about, that was one way I started that last February was sort of preparing myself because I'm a planner. I like to plan stuff, even my grief, but that doesn't always work out. <laughs> so this, what I did was started paying a little bit more attention to uh, what I was going through and my, my own stuff again. I knew the pin kind of felt like I had reached a, a point of uh, wellness to be present for Carson and I had put a pin in my own growth for a little bit, right? So now the pin was going to be pulled out, and I needed to prepare for that. So I was involving myself in a, in a growth-minded community and trying to figure out what exactly am I going to do with my life. Carson's life is, is being set up here. Like, Carson's going to college, so what's my story now, like? And, and really what I come, I've come to is, well, I'll just tell you what I told my, the leader of our uh, year of living mindfully. I said, oh yeah. I mean, like as soon as Carson leaves, I'm getting a job. I want to go to work and blah, blah, blah. And she said, um, has it occurred to you to not do that? And I said, well, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> what else am I going to do? And she's like, well, what if you just did some of your own personal journey work like just be with you for a little bit by yourself and see what that feels like with no child in the home to take care of and I wasn't going to do that but that's what I've ended up doing so now I'm on the journey of figuring out where like I'm trying to remember what I like it's <laughs> a little bit stumped right now mm -hmm. uh, there's stuff that I do but I'm just sort of like huh what is it what is my life like not in family anymore an immediate need and nobody needs me like that anymore I don't need to be on call like that 
So what am I going to do with my time? And I'm still asking myself that question, frankly. Uh, but I'm on the, the road to figuring that out. Like, what makes me happy? What gives me joy? Where do I feel purpose? Because uh, I had a lot of purpose in my family. That was the best job I never got paid for. So I loved that work. Is there work like that for me coming up? So I'm looking at some things around social justice and things that I, I care about and then I like where I find myself reading articles. I'm like, oh yeah, I do care about that. Okay. Hmm. I do care about sustainability. I do care about bias management. I do care about XYZ. So just exploring that again as a as a person on my own that you know I'm I'm not needed by uh, a family anymore. So I gotta figure that out. That's what I'm doing. What would you say has been the most challenging aspect of your journey? Oh my gosh, that is such a big question. Wow. I'm gonna have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> I look forward. I, I, I look forward to your answer. <laughs> Me too. I'm gonna figure it out. What is? What have you found for yourself? I think that trying to figure out who I am has been really difficult. I think that we can get lost in jobs, marriages, families, and when that's no longer there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first it was figuring out who am I not as a wife? Mm -hmm. And now that my children all are similar to you out of the house, who am I um, outside of being a mom? And I, I'm still a mom, of course, but like you, my kids don't need me. And that's been really tough to try to figure out what my identity, who, who I truly am. And like you, what makes me tick? And I think that's been challenging. I, something else that's been challenging for me is um, I, I loved my, my partnership and my marriage and found myself feeling incredibly lonely. Mm -hmm. And that's been something that I've struggled with and trying to be okay with being alone and trying to distinguish being alone versus being lonely. And um, being a mom in a family of, of five, it was completely chaotic, but I loved it. Like you, I loved that. And the weeks that I wouldn't have my children when they were with their dad, those were some of the darkest, um, most difficult times for me. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you. During during those times that, that you did feel dark or, or felt that deep grief, what was it that gave you the strength to keep going? Well, Carson, honestly, I'm, I'm brutally honest about it. When you lose your partner or spouse and there are kids involved in the equation, 
it's super clear what the priority is, is you got to get yourself together to be there for those kids because they are still growing. They still need so much. They need, need, need. And you've got to keep yourself in shape and mentally, physically, and spiritually to be available to that if that's important to you. And it was important to me. I mean, honestly, I, Carson has been my anchor throughout this process. And now that my anchor has moved on to other shores, <laughs> quite literally, I don't know what my anchor is going to be now. And I'm figuring it out. I'm in the process of getting a new anchor that is from and within myself. And I'm using all the resources at my disposal and looking for more to figure that kind of stuff out. So the darkness that you're talking about, honestly, it wasn't, I don't think, well, actually that's not true. I did have moments of, I, I, things, something that got brought up for me, which was also around Carson was Carson was just living her life as a teenager and you know, teenagers forget stuff and they're self-absorbed and appropriately, age appropriately so. And I think she, I'll just tell you this little story. She forgotten where we were supposed to meet, where I was supposed to pick her up in Oakland. Now, you know, parts of Oakland are a little sketchy. And so I'm, I'm needing things to be a particular way so that there's safety in our home like she's safe I'm safe we're safe and she just spaced out and I effing lost my mind I effing lost my mind the level of concern that a, a, a parent would have normally in this circumstance times that by a thousand I just it hit every trauma button so that was a very dark moment for me like that but it was also, again, around my relationship with my child. So they were just being age appropriate and I lost my shit. And there's a lot of cleanup I had to do after that, which was not super fun. But I just remember that fear, that level of fear. Those are really my darkest times of losing another person. Like I could seriously choke up just talking about, about this. Like I can't lose another important person like this in my life. I just, I don't know how, how I would survive this if Carson wasn't here. So that even a tiny bit of a threat to her not being here, it, and it really wasn't even a threat. It was just my, my perceptions were so off in the grief that, um, yeah, that darkness was, I guess that's the, my, my, experience of darkness throughout this mm-hmm. and I didn't handle it gracefully but I did get to observe that this was a big concern of mine safety like paramount weirdly like huh it made me question a lot of my life like have I been living my life this way just so concerned with safety like maybe I'm not fully fully living and that's another fun thing about <laughs> trauma. It's like your boundaries get very strange, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't, if, if I didn't have Carson to anchor me through this process, I don't know what that would have looked like. 
Um, yeah. So I'm grateful for that. That was a gift. You know, it's interesting. Um, so many people that I talk with, regardless of what their story is, it's their children that give them that strength. And I will say that it was having three children that I needed to care for um, every single day, get up and make breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That routine, keeping that routine for them was really what saved me. And I've thought long and hard about there were many times that if I didn't have children, um, things could have would have could have turned out quite differently for me. They were the reason that I could keep going and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I think that that's just a commonality that has emerged from so many of the conversations that I've had. Um, so let me ask you this: What? So Carson was really the source of your strength. Where did you, what were your sources of inspiration as you were looking to put one foot in front of the other? What inspired you? <laughs> A few things. Uh, one of those things was the women before me. So other women who were six months two years, 10 years down this road of losing their partners, they were great sources of information, practical information, logistical information, but really about thriving. I mean, I've, the women I've come across, they're living very full lives. And it gave me hope to see somebody else down this path, this not asked for path that uh, was thriving and, and doing very well for themselves and having a lot of joy in their lives and finding meaning in different things. And I, I look to them you want to call them the elders. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I look to my elders who are not actually older than me necessarily uh, to, to see possibilities. And so those things were, were really great. And they provided for me, I'm that's, I'm that kind of learner. Like I like to talk to people kind of learner. And so that was a great source of inspiration for me was watching them in their lives uh, as they thrive and, and also ha- having them being willing to tell their stories of how it was in the beginning for them. And, um, yeah, like that. Plus, you know, Brene Brown, she's super inspiring to me. I love her. <laughs> her name comes up in many of the conversations that I've had with people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just love, like, I have an aunt, my Aunt Jeannie. She uh, lost her partner. They didn't have kids, but she lost her husband, Danny, in 2009. And they had that kind of relationship that Sean and I had and where they just got each other. They were just for each other. And they were fun and funny, and they loved having a good time. And then he was gone very quickly, heart attack. And then he was just gone. Well... She, here in 2020, I mean, she's got herself connected with um, various organizations that she volunteers for, and she travels, 
and she's still curious about the world and she's just living her life with, with kindness and compassion toward herself and toward other people. I mean, she, she was a trained nurse, so that might have something to do. But I, I just look to people like that when it's not like this, some, you know, big life. It's not like Oprah kind of thing, even though I did say Brene Brown, but it's, <laughs> it's the people around me and the people who are, you know, just living their lives with purpose and meaning and curiosity and joy that I'm like, yeah, man, I want that, that yes, me too. Well, you and I have talked a little bit that even just you and I having this conversation, it took you some time to be ready and feeling like you were in a space to do it. And I'm so appreciative because I do feel that by sharing our stories, it provides that hope for others who find themselves in a situation that doesn't have to be exactly the same as, as you were mentioning in your grief group. You know, there's grief is grief, no matter what the circumstance. And so I'm so appreciative of you sharing your story because somebody will recognize themselves in the things that you've said and they will think, oh my goodness, if Sarah and Carson are thriving I, there's hope for me too. So Sarah, I just, I did want to thank you I, I because I do think that that really is inspirational for others who are following in your footsteps. Well, thank you very much for that. It's been my pleasure talking to you and let me acknowledge you fully for creating a forum and this opportunity for other people to, for all people to, to speak about how they responded to unexpected adversity. And it's, huge to have a platform uh, that you've created for this and I love that you have curiosity about it and that you're allowing people to share their stories through this forum so thank you oh thank you I couldn't do it without people such as yourselves who are willing to allow me to ask them questions about the most painful moments in their life and so I just um, I've been really honored that individuals such as yourselves have allowed me that opportunity. And, and so thank you, Sarah. It's been fantastic speaking with you today. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Happy trails. Happy trails. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Unexpected Launch podcast. Thank you to Duncan Music Project, who produced this episode and composed the music.